week on Myths and Legends, Robin Hood and his friends throw a dinner party, and we'll see that one secret trick to having guests over and actually making money. Easy. You do it by robbing your guests. The creature this week is a jaguar man who likes to go shirtless and also can end the world. This is Myths and Legends, episode 183. Check, please. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you'd think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We are back in the Robin Hood legends. The fun thing about Robin Hood is that the stories really lend themselves to this format. He's never had a major continuity, and up to a certain point, all the stories are standalone stories. Basically, we've established Robin Hood as he is in the legends. He's the son of a nobleman driven from his home by the sheriff of Nottingham when the man targeted Robin's father. In the forest, he met Little John, Much the Miller's son, Arthur Bland, Will Scarlet, Friar Tuck, and together, they rob from the callous rich and give to the needy. We introduced Maid Marian a few episodes back, an extremely smart childhood friend of Robin, who can also handle herself in hand-to-hand combat against him. Though, not to diminish that, but really who can't against Robin. I had her inserting herself into the sheriff's regime as a spy, as is the case in some of the legends. Today, we'll catch up with Robin doing what he does best, robbing bishops as they ride through Sherwood Forest. Robin saw the bishop coming his way. The man was riding alone through Sherwood Forest, money bags actually jostling at his side. It was like he was asking to be robbed. He was glancing nervously from the road to the forest and then back to the road. Robin smiled as he looped his bow around his back. The old bishop was right to be nervous. Robin had turned over a new leaf of sorts, but Nottingham was a little slow catching on. And that was fine with him. His reputation as a cut purse and cutthroat stuck in the minds of the nobility in Nottingham. Most notably, when Little John's arrow stuck through the mind of the last sheriff. There might not have been any more murder since Robin vowed to steal for something more, to steal from the rich and give to those they had fed off of. But the nobles of Nottingham were a little slow catching on. And the bishop was likely thinking about all those things. As he once again glanced off into the forest. Robin and his men were spread out. Some were in town, running different cons, others were stationed in different areas of the forest, and still more were in different parts of the country. When it came to stealing from the rich, business was booming. So, Robin Hood was alone. It was just one bishop. He would say it was like taking candy from a baby, but bishops actually gave up their cash way easier. Babies were sticky. Robin stepped from the forest, spooked the horse, and grabbed its reins. He looked up at the bishop. Yes, hi. He was Robin, and he was Robin. Huh. You know, he just noticed that... Hey, eyes down here. Don't worry about the forest. I have a dozen arrows trained on you right now. But I'm the one talking to you. Eyes on me, he commanded the bishop. But the man didn't look away from the forest. It, it, it's him? He said it's him. Guys? The bishop uttered. Robin now looked to the forest. From it, he heard the click of a dozen crossbows. 
and the rustle of as many men as they rushed from the trees. He let go of the horse's reins and threw up his hands. Well, guys, okay, hold on. Here's the thing. And he bolted. The bishop, no longer bait, got a lot braver with a half dozen crossbows at his back. He sat up on his horse and bellowed out an after him. Robin was in a full sprint. As anyone who fought him, had seen him fight, or heard about him fighting knew, he was way better with a bow than anything else. And this was his forest. He turned into the woods and found himself looking at yet another man panting in leather armor and brandishing a crossbow. Robin staggered back. How big was this operation? This was Robin's forest, so Robin knew that he was in trouble. There was a stream to the south that he couldn't quickly cross, and there were some rocky outcroppings. Meanwhile, he didn't know how many of the sheriff's men were in the forest. He had overplayed his hand. He put some distance between himself and the sheriff's men, and then he remembered something. A house. Not far from here. A poor old woman lived in the forest. Robin thought about it. There was no other way out. He made for her door. The poor old woman smiled when she saw Robin and beckoned him to come in. She looked him up and down. He was out of breath and sweating. Was everything all right? Robin, panting, said that the sheriff's men were in the forest with a bishop. They had tracked him. They would be here. Could, could he hide here? The old woman smiled. Oh, he had helped her out so much, what with the supplies and the shoes that he and his gang had gifted her. She could do more than that. She started taking off her clothes. Robin held up his hands. Oh, wow. Thank you. He was flattered, but now's not really the time for that. Besides, he was kind of with someone. The woman said that there wasn't time for her to trade clothes with him and give him time to escape while pretending to be him with the authorities. They had done so much for her that she would be dead without them. She wouldn't even have a life to risk without their generosity. Wait, what did he think she was doing? Robin shook his head. Didn't matter. Yes, that sounded like an awesome idea. Robin was creeping through the forest in the gray cloak of an elderly woman. He spotted one of the sheriff's men ducking around the trees. He told himself to be cool. He was an elderly woman just out collecting berries or whatever. It would be fine. It wouldn't be fine, though, because the sheriff's man had noticed the one other person in this part of the forest, and he was coming Robin's way. He would see Robin's face, and if Robin was fortunate, Robin would be crossbowed on sight. Robin swallowed hard, getting a dagger ready underneath his cloak. He didn't want to, but if he had to... Then, a shout came from the direction Robin had traveled. It was the bishop. They got him. He was calling everyone to himself. They found Robin, and they needed all the men they had to escort him back to Nottingham. The sheriff's man looked at what was definitely an old woman and took off toward the house. Robin waited a few seconds, and then he took off. He had left his bow and arrows at the house, so the woman would be more convincing. He had to get to Little John. Stop right there, witch, Robin heard several minutes later. 
when he approached the place he knew Little John was laying, watching the road. John, it's me, Robin. Besides, witches aren't a thing in these legends, bud. Ah, it speaks with Robin's voice. What manner of necromancy is this? John said, knocked an arrow. John, seriously, there's an old woman who lives a 15-minute walk from here. Why would you think I'm a witch? It took Robin throwing off the cloak and pointing to his face to show Little John that he was not a witch. And even then, Little John would keep an eye on this one. Robin said that they needed to get everyone together. They had some guests in the forest that they were leaving unattended. The bishop squinted on horseback. His captive was tied and slung over the back of his horse. Who's that? He said, slowing his horse. Up ahead, 100 men knelt by a greenwood tree. Why, I do believe that's Robin Hood, the voice from his horse said. The bishop yelled to the forest, to his own men, asking if they were, were they seeing this? It's what they expected, an ambush. Guys? Oh, they won't be coming, a voice said from the woods. A person strode from the leaves, and the bishop rolled his eyes. Uh, not now, crone, the bishop barked said crone hooked his reins. Okay, the bishop really wasn't getting it, was he? The crone on the ground told the bishop to look at his face, look at his captive, back to the crone, back to the captive. Yeah, see it now? Honestly, Robin, in disguise as the crone, said he had no idea how the bishop mistook an elderly woman for an outlaw in his late 20s. Regardless, it was time to let her go. (laughs) The bishop sneered and whistled. Nothing happened. Oh, your friends. Yeah, see all those guys up by the tree? They met your friends in the forest. Our forest. They made some helpful donations to our cause, and we sent them back to Nottingham. Would you like to make a donation as well? The bishop looked to the forest, to the help that wasn't coming. His hand shook as he took out 50 pounds and dropped them into Robin's open mantle. Robin shook his head. That was all? Maybe it was Robin being a bit skeptical. But the bishop should dig a little deeper. The bishop sighed and turned his pouch upside down. 500 pounds in total poured into Robin's mantle. The outlaw smiled. They tied the bishop up and went through the rest of his stuff. Robin was about to cut him loose when John shook his head. He hadn't been to church in a while. He wanted the bishop to say mass for them. Robin rolled his eyes. Uh, Seemed a little cruel, but okay. So the bishop, trembling and weeping, said mass for the outlaws before getting back on his horse. Little John, the outlaw who had to be pushing seven feet tall, approached the horse and slapped it on the rear. The bishop held on for dear life. Pray for us, bishop, Little John yelled out, and then went with the others to count out the man's gold. Now, yeah, that's harsh. And the church at this time was a frequent target of Robin and his merry men. In all my reading, though, he almost exclusively attacks bishops and those higher up in the church. And I think it's safe to say the later Robin never raids a poor local congregation or a well-meaning, kind priest. You have to remember at this time, the church owned one-third of the land in Europe and wielded insane political power over the nobility up to and including kings. A common path of the nobility 
for sons that wouldn't be inheriting their father's lands and titles was to go into the church because there you could advance in a different organization. So while there were absolutely good and pious bishops, I think it's fair to say that during the Middle Ages, some of them might not have been there for the right reasons. And bishops walking around with 500 pounds in gold, I mean, that was a lot of money back then. And Robin and his crew targeted bishops and others that were carrying the equivalent of thousands of dollars on their person while their local priests and parishes starved. Anyway, we'll catch up with Robin, who's feeling a little antsy, but that will be right after this. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Robin stood from the table. They needed to have some people over for dinner. You mean we need to have some people over we can bring into the hideout, put some mediocre food and drink in front of them, and then rob them of all the money they have in exchange for said mediocre food and drink? Little John asked. Yes, John, we've been over this. You don't need to say that every time, Robin replied. We're robbing people. We're outlaws. It's what we do. Seriously. Okay, John, you take much and will and I'll take Alan, Arthur, and Friar Tuck. We'll go find some guests. And so they left, John leading one group and Robin another, and the rest setting up a location that they could abandon after dinner. But as the day wore on, and Robin's group passed by villages and towns, walking the roads and looking for anyone who might be a worthwhile guest, not just rich, but rich and part of the system that oppressed the poor and needy, so royals, nobles, knights, and most high-level clergymen, they began to feel as if they had wasted a day. Robin sent a small group off to go hunting the king's deer and stationed himself by the road. Farmers, beggars, and yeomen passed, each getting a kind word, a nod, or a coin from the band of outlaws. Then they heard horse hooves up on the road ahead. Robin nudged Arthur, who took his hat from his eyes, sat up, and looked down the road. Him? In truth, he wasn't much. It was obvious that he was a knight, but it was like looking at the remains of a building. You could tell it had been a theater or a house by its framework, but that was all. So too with this knight. He didn't have armor. His clothes were worn. 
He didn't even have jewels adorning his clothes. Robin shrugged. Well, it was getting late. This might be the best they could find today. And if they didn't bring anyone back, all that food would go to waste. Robin stood. He told his men to get ready. He'd go say hello. Hey there, Robin waved to the night. The man, head drooping, was surprised from thought. Who, who was the stranger stopping people like this on the King's Road? Robin smiled. He would be honest. And the honest answer was that that was a difficult question. Some called him kind, some cruel, some honest, some a thief. It didn't matter what the world thought. Only what the good knight thought. His name was Robin Hood. The knight smiled as much as his frown would allow. He knew of Robin. He knew of the man's exploits among the poor. And he approved. Robin was glad to hear that. So glad that he wanted to invite the man to dinner. He and his compatriots ran something of a inn in Sherwood Forest, where they entertained interesting people. If the knight really was sympathetic to their cause, then Robin insisted that he accompany the outlaw and his band into the forest. Robin motioned to the armed bowman, arrows out. That usually sealed the... Wait. Oh, man, come on. Why are you crying? It's... Don't... They were good outlaws, don't worry. The knight, though, didn't even see the other outlaws and grasped the not-so-subtle messaging. With the mention of dinner, he broke down sobbing, burying his face in his hands and dropping down to his horse's mane. Robin looked back to his compatriots and threw up his hands. No, he didn't know what was going on. All right, all right, he'll ask. Robin walked up alongside the knight, who sniffed and wiped his nose on the horse's mane. Hey, bud, you, you doing all right? You want to talk about something? The knight said that it was just, it was dinner. He, he couldn't afford dinner. Robin patted his arm. Aw, oh, bud, no. Come on, they weren't picky. They would have just taken his horse and saddle, and that would have been enough to make it profitable. But what's up? Why the tears, big guy? The knight said that it was his lands. Tomorrow, he would have to forfeit all of his lands to the church. You see, the knight, who goes by the name of Sir Richard, well, his son was also training to be a knight. And the recent tournament he rode in went well until it didn't. The sun's lance split, and the pointed edge, free of the tip of the lance, found its way into the helmet of the sun's competitor, going through his eye and, yes, brain. Oh, ugh, Robin said, shuddering. The knight shrugged, yeah, I mean, uh, it's the Middle Ages, what are we going to do, though? Not point long sticks and ride at each other full speed on horseback? Anyway, even though it was an accident, Sir Walter of Lancaster, the one who died, had friends in court who wanted to see the son executed for this. The right bribes in the right places meant that the knight was down 100 pounds in gold by the end of the day. He had to secure a loan against his family lands, one with the Priory of Emmet. He did so, and his son was allowed to leave. To keep his son safe, he sent him on the Crusades, because nothing says safe like sending him across the continent in the Middle Ages to a foreign war. You're a good father, Robin said, protecting your son from all that danger by sending him into more danger. Hey, how much do you owe the Priory? The knight said he owed 400 pounds. He said he didn't care about himself. He would follow his son and take his place on the right side of history by going to fight in the Crusades. But his wife, his poor wife, 
she would be forced to fall back on the generosity of friends and family and go live with them. It would break her proud heart. Robin let go of the horse's reins. He said he thought he could help the man. He hated to see a formerly rich knight suffer, to watch the powerful eat each other in petty squabbles, and to see a wonderful woman reduced to simply a life of idleness and not rich idleness. It was unconscionable. The knight was coming to dinner for free. Love all those things, Will Scarlet said, when the man arrived with the knight at their little pop-up larceny restaurant. You love watching the rich suffer and the powerful turn on each other, the consequences of their greedy and bloodthirsty lives coming home to roost. That's like our whole thing. You're not seeing the bigger picture, Friar Tuck said as he walked by. And the little side conversation was soon interrupted by little John, who boomed out, asking who wanted more wine. His guests to dinner, another bishop who had been passing by with three friars, spat on the ground. And the bishop said that he would not break bread with criminals. Little John smirked. Why not? His church bought the bread. Everyone sat down to an awkward dinner. The knight was smirking, seeing as he was going to lose his family's estate because of a predatory loan from a church. He had gone to the church in his time of need. As a last resort after an accident where all the nobles turned on him, and they had given him nothing for his ancestral lands. So, he didn't really object to watching the bishop sweat, and even laughed when Robin and his men poked fun at the bishop. Only the bishop maintained his composure, and he turned to the knight. Sir Richard seemed to be a captive as well, yet he was laughing at their jests? Richard shrugged. I mean, funny is funny. He would laugh even if it was directed at him. But, you know, no one had ever called him a gluttonous priest, man-eating bishop, or money-gorging usurer, so... The bishop growled and continued to not touch his food. When dinner was over and the plates were collected, Robin asked if Will Scarlet would help the bishop get the things he was carrying and help him pay for the meals of himself and his three friars. There were candlesticks, big bolts of velvet that were going to another church and another bishop, and a lockbox. Robin turned to the bishop. Did he have a key? The bishop turned up his nose. Robin shrugged. We have a key. Alan? Alan came with a sword and, with one good swing, hacked open the lockbox. Many an arched eyebrow was seen in the forest clearing when 1,500 gold pounds spilled out onto the ground. That, that was going to the poor, the bishop spat. And Robin nodded. Sure, sure. And, oh, what was this? The color drained from the bishop's face when he saw Robin lift a piece of paper from the remains of the lockbox. He swallowed hard. Robin read it over. Oh, there were a lot of names and a lot of sums on this paper. Many loans. Huh, well, Robin said it was no use to him. He pinched it between his fingers and thrust it at the bishop. Here you go. Wow, there must be thousands of pounds worth of debts on this paper for locals in the area. <sighs> be a shame if anything happened to that. Whoops. Robin let go of the paper an instant before the bishop grabbed it, and the wind blew it from Robin's hands. Robin turned around in no particular hurry. Oh no, someone stopped that paper before it goes into the... Oh, 
there it goes. Right into the fire. Ah, well, the bishop probably had all those names and amounts memorized, right? Otherwise, all those debts would be wiped out. The bishop blinked. Yes. That's why people write things down and then lock up the paper. Because they have it memorized. Robin smiled. Good. Okay, here's how things were going to go with the money. He still wanted to contribute to the church. He was very pious. So he would divvy it up into thirds. He would give a third back to the bishop and friars because, as they said, it was going to the poor. Another third, Robin would ensure, went to the poor. He'd distribute it directly. And the last third would go to Robin's band. And as soon as Robin scooped up the 500 pounds going to his band, he turned to Sir Richard. Here, go buy back your family estate. Bring your wife back home. Sir Richard was speechless. He grabbed Robin's hand and shook it vigorously. He, he couldn't believe it. Robin pulled him back from the brink. Robin saved him. Robin nodded. He was just doing the right thing. Now go, today, and make for the priory to pay off your debts. Take my men with you, dress him up. You never know who's waiting in the forest. Real easy to be generous when it's not your money, the bishop said in disgust. It's not your money either, Robin replied, and then smiled. First will be last, and last will be first, and all that. That's what your lot says, anyway. We're just giving you a chance to practice what you preach. Robin turned to his men. How many days was it to Emmett Priory, or Sir Richard O's? They thought about it. Two? Maybe three at the most? Robin turned to the bishop. Hey, looks like we're having a little sleepover. Couldn't have the bishop riding to the priory and telling them about the cash before the debt is paid in full. Will Scarlet pulled him aside. After the food, they're coming out in debt after this dinner. That was not the point of these dinners. Robin smiled. Debt? Oh, no, no, no. You see, they now owned a knight. There was a knight out there who not only has no love for nobles, but who owes his whole family estate, his whole legacy to Robin and his band. He had servants, horses, land, men-at-arms. That was worth way more than 500 pounds. At the Emmett Priory, the prior was sitting down to a feast. The sheriff of Nottingham arrived late and took a seat, telling his servant a bright young woman who had come to work for him a few months back, to wait out in the hall. Today's the day, the prior beamed. Today was the day they got all of Sir Richard's lands. The man wouldn't be able to come up with the cash in time. How many nights did that make this year? Three, the sheriff sighed. In truth, it had been his idea. It wasn't a particularly smart idea, but none of these men were particularly smart. The nobles, the royalty, the bishops, they were just powerful. The sheriff was just trying to dodge the cudgels the powerful used and create a peace through chaos. The sheriff had given the priory the idea of making predatory loans to desperate nobles as a way to keep some of the nobles in check. But the prior was running with it now. He was devouring land. It really is a shame to see such a man as Sir Richard bereft of his land, the sheriff said to no one in particular. It had been in a noble family for generations all for a stupid accident in a tournament. 
The prior said that what was a shame were those thieves in Sherwood Forest. He only had to do this because of how much those men had stolen over the past few years. And that was on the sheriff. The sheriff's jaw clenched. Those thieves, the people loved them. So no one spoke up. Their little goodwill mission had only swelled their numbers. There must be a hundred of them now. And no matter how well the sheriff planned, how secretive he was, he couldn't ever seem to get the jump on the one they called Robin Hood. Worse, more often than not, the men of the forest seemed to know his plans almost as fast as he did. It was then that they heard the clop of hooves outside. The prior looked at the sheriff, who shrugged. He didn't know who it was. Minutes later, the doors flew open. It was Sir Richard, flanked by his own men-at-arms. He said he had come because today was the day he was supposed to pay back his debt to the priory. And can you pay those 400 pounds? The prior ventured. No, I can't, Sir Richard said. The prior laughed. Then why did he even come here? He could have just sent a messenger. Oh, wait, no, he couldn't because he's destitute now. Bummer. The prior stood. He wouldn't have it said that he was cruel. He would let the debt go for 300 pounds, but done here, Sir Richard said to the prior, tossing three bags on the table. His debt was canceled, right? The prior looked at the bags, but no. He just said he couldn't pay. He was lying. The price was 400 pounds. The knight owed 400 pounds. He ordered the sheriff of Nottingham to arrest this man. The sheriff laughed. The prior just said 300 pounds. Now who's lying? The man played your game and you lost. Besides, the knight was within his rights and surrounded by men-at-arms who looked pretty tough. Huh. Especially that big one. You. Reynold, Reynold Greenleaf, was it? The seven-foot-tall man-at-arms, who definitely wasn't just little John wearing a hat, swallowed hard. He shook his head. Sorry, didn't know that name. The sheriff shrugged. He looked an awful lot like the man who worked for his predecessor. Little John looked at Arthur Bland and Much, and the half-dozen more of Robin's men, the ones who were in the group with Sir Richard. Each had swords. Each would fight. Ah, must have been a different seven-foot-tall man local to medieval Nottingham, then. You must get that all the time, the sheriff smiled. Sir Richard, I'll let you go. You have an estate to get back to. Sir Richard bowed before the prior, the sheriff, and the other guests. As he and his men left the hall, the doors stood open behind them. And the sheriff noticed something. The big one, and a few of the others turned to his assistant the young woman who could speak and write in four languages. And they nodded. Not out of the ordinary, for men to nod at a young woman, but she didn't nod back. Her eyes darted briefly, imperceptibly, into the room where the sheriff sat with the prior, and then looked down. The sheriff then caught a small head shake, one that the knight's men must have noticed as well, because they straightened back up and didn't try to address the young woman again. The sheriff, ignoring the fuming prior to his right, stroked his beard. Hmm.
That's where we're going to leave it for this week. And I realize that I said that the legends don't have much in the way of continuity, but today's events, with Robin helping Sir Richard and the sheriff realizing the connections, will have consequences that will reverberate on down throughout the rest of the story. Next week, we'll be getting into Lithuanian folklore, where we'll learn an unconventional dating technique. Sending 10,000 snakes to occupy someone's family home until that person agrees to go out with you. The creature this week is the Sina, from Brazilian folklore. More specifically, the folklore of the Jaruna people. Now, when a mommy human and a daddy giant jaguar love each other very much, the result is the Sina, which is a half-human and half-jaguar. The Sina was actually the predecessor to all of the Yoruna people, and he married a giant spider that made dresses. The Sina is actually still around today. Legend has it that whenever he wants to rejuvenate, you know, take a few years off, he just takes off his skin like a shirt over his head, goes for a short swim, and when he shimmies back into the skin, he's young again. According to one oral account, a long time ago, the Sina had a visitor, and he introduced the person to his wife, showed him the vantage point with which he could watch over his people, and, oh yeah, the forked stick that holds up the sky. I can't tell if it was a veiled threat or just a statement of fact, but the Sina turned to the visitor and informed the person that on the day that his people, the Yoruna, died out entirely, he'd be closing up shop. He would just yank the forked stick, the sky would collapse on the earth, and all life would end. A development that's made all the more tragic by the fact that, in the 2011 census, the population of the people group was only 348. Still, that's up from 37 in the 1950s. So maybe the world won't end anytime soon. That is, unless our shirtless jaguar man accidentally bumps into the pole holding up the sky. Then all bets are off. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. I want to say thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring us this week. Are you stuck at home, feeling isolated and worried? BetterHelp offers online professional counselors who can help through video or phone sessions. Plus, exchange unlimited messages. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a counselor you'll love in less than 24 hours. Get professional help when you want it, wherever you are. BetterHelp is a truly affordable option, and our listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code LEGENDS. Go to betterhelp.com legends. All right, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.